Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Anytime you're in the Huntsville area, we hope you'll stop in and be part of our worship. Sunday morning worship is at 9 o'clock, with Bible class immediately following. Sunday evening worship is at 5. Midweek Bible study is held Wednesdays at 7. Well, good morning, and uh, it's good to see everyone here. Welcome to a study of the book of Colossians. There is a one-page syllabus that some are passing around. Uh, if you would like to take a copy of that, it just, <clears throat> it just gives a list of the lessons and a few brief highlights about the book. And today's lesson is going to be an introduction to the book and It may be the most dull or boring of the lessons. Hopefully it's it's the most boring. The others get more interesting anyway. But uh, I thought it would be useful to to discuss some of the background. First of all, just a question for everybody. Uh, What are are some of the things that we know about the book of Colossians? Anyone? Anyone? Written by Paul, okay. Paul is the penman, the author. It speaks about the head of the church, Jesus Christ, yes. Very important part of the book. One of the prison epistles, yes. Other things that come to mind about the book of Colossians? We'll, we'll talk about a few of those things that are mentioned as well as perhaps maybe one or two others. Uh, I want to show this as uh, just to provide some background. Several of these things have already been mentioned. Uh, it was thought to have generally said to have been written from Rome, although some people argue about that. Some people say it was written from Ephesus based on a couple of rather obscure scriptures. Uh, and others say it was written by Paul in Caesarea before he got to Rome, but the large majority of people say Rome, so I'm inclined to go with that. That's the most commonly held view. And if it was indeed written in Rome, it was probably written somewhere in the time frame of 60 to 62 AD. And uh, it was some interesting things that we, we notice about the book uh, if you look in uh, chapter 2 at, uh, at verse 1, Paul makes reference to the fact that he had not been there before. He said, you may, many have not seen my face. So Paul was very likely not the one who founded the church in, uh, in Colossae. It may very well have been founded by his, as a result of his work in Ephesus, he spent two years there preaching, and it says uh, that the gospel was spread throughout Asia. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 9, uh, no, I'm sorry, Acts, uh, well, first, let me go, go ahead and go to Acts chapter 2 at verse 9. This is on the day of Pentecost, and it mentions a number of those that were present at that time, including people from Asia and Phrygia. Asia is the country where Colossae is found, 
and Phrygia is the province. So it's uh, very possible that people, the first Christians came as a result of the sermon on, on the day of Pentecost. But uh, in addition, uh, we find other uh, material that helps us understand uh, that uh, th- with regard to the founding of the church. Uh, in Acts chapter 19 and verse 10, it speaks about Paul's two years in Ephesus. And it says that all those who lived in Asia, again, the country, modern Turkey, Asia Minor, heard the word, both Jews and Greeks. So Jews, Jews and Gentiles heard the word, and many of them were converted. The church there was more likely founded by a man named Epaphras, and he's mentioned in the book. Uh, and uh, he's one of the ones that Paul makes reference to uh, in the letter itself. If you want to look in Colossians chapter 1, starting at verse, in the middle of verse 5, you heard before in the word of truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it is also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit and is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God and truth as you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant. Our dear fellow servant is a term that Paul often used to refer to fellow ministers or evangelists of the gospel. And so Epaphras seems to be the one who founded the church there. And we get a little more about that in Colossians chapter two, uh, 4, rather, at verse 12. He makes reference to Epaphras beginning in verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, so he was from Colossae, a bondservant. Again, another term Paul often used to refer to fellow gospel preachers. Of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all of the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you and those who are in Laodicea and those in Heropolis, two adjacent cities, in fact, very uh, nearby to the city of Colossae. So apparently Epaphras had preached in all three of these cities and he was there with Paul at the time of his imprisonment in Rome and had been bringing news of the church and its well-being and state of being to Paul uh, before his uh, writing of the letter. So Paul would have been well-versed because he would have had someone speaking from first-hand experience. The uh, church there was very likely made up of a combination of Jews and Gentiles. Uh, My reading on the matter would suggest it's probably more Gentiles than Jews, Uh, but some of those Jews were, as I mentioned in Acts 2, were present on the day of Pentecost and uh, went back to Colossae with the gospel news. So it was probably made up of both Jews and Gentiles. And there are some things that uh, that give us indication of that. One is the uh, passage in Acts chapter 2, people of Pentecost. And then also uh, there is a passage uh, that I can, uh, if I can find it. Yes, in Colossians chapter 2, where uh, Paul makes mention of some of the 
false doctrine that was going around. In chapter 2 at verse 16, he says, So let no one judge you in food or drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath, which are a shadow of the things to come, but of the substance of Christ. So he's probably referring to some elements of the law that uh, people that were there were trying to uh, bring in. And of course, it was predominantly a, uh, a Gentile city. So uh, it was uh, made up of a mixture of people. And in, mentioned later in the book at chapter 4, verse 7, Tychicus is the one who uh, apparently delivered the letter from Paul to Colossae. This is the title uh, that I have given the book, The Supremacy and the Sufficiency, or the All-Sufficiency, I should have said, of Christ. And I've also given it a subtitle because I think the title and this subtitle help, help us perhaps give an understanding of the breakdown of the book. The first two parts, first two chapters of the book might be summarized by the first title, and the second is, so Jesus is all supreme and all sufficient, so how does that have a bearing on me? What, what should be my response uh, to that? There's a very powerful statement, and this I'd like if you would read in your own Bibles with me, beginning Colossians 1, chapter, or verse 15 rather. Chapter 1 at verse 15. This provides a nice, a very succinct statement about the nature of the book. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether crowns or dominions or principalities or powers, all things created through him, for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. He is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have good preeminence. I want to call your attention to some prepositions, prepositional phrases that are used there in verse 16. It says, for by him all things are created. And then at the end of that verse, it says, through him and for him. And then in verse 17, and in him all things consist. Giving great emphasis to the him, which of course is Jesus Christ. And then he ends it with that word, preeminence. So it is about the preeminence, the supremacy, the overall majesty and power of Jesus Christ. And I have on this slide what I would call a very abbreviated outline of the book. Uh, if you look at Paul's writings, many of them, not all, uh, they break down very nicely into two parts. Uh, the first part I have designated theology or doctrine. For instance, if you look at the book of uh, Romans, which, uh, and I'll defer to Brother James on this, but generally the first nine chapters are regarded as the theology or doctrine section. Some people include chapters 9 through 11 with that, so that would make it 1 through 12. But remember what uh, chapter 12 begins with. It begins with a very direct statement to us, 
beseeching us by the mercies of God. So that begins then what I called the practical application section. The book of Ephesians divides very nicely exactly into three chapters that are the theology or the doctrine and the last three chapters are the response that the church should have to that. The grace of God in the first three chapters in the last three chapters, what is our response to this fact that God has bestowed his grace on us? Colossians breaks down very nicely also. Chapters 1 and 2 is the theology about the nature of Jesus Christ. Uh, The word that's used to describe that is Christology. Uh, That simply means the study of the nature of Jesus Christ. And then the last two chapters, which is the Colossians in Christ in Christ and me in Colossians, so what? That's the application to us. What should our response as individual Christians be to the very nature that's described for Jesus Christ there in this very uh, significant book that gives us a great deal, I think, to understand about Jesus Christ uh, and his nature. This is, <clears throat> this is a map that shows, if you'll notice, the white square or rectangle designates where Colossae is, where it was located. Uh, there's just a hill there now, a vacant hill, but uh, it was about 100 miles to the east of Ephesus, so it would have been close enough for people who were traveling out from Exodus, had been taught by Paul, to go out to places like uh, Colossae and Laodicea and so forth. And, and uh, Colossae is uh, founded, <clears throat> or is, was based, rather, at the base of a large, large mountain, And it's a good thing I brought some water. Uh, And it it was also near the mouth of of a couple of rivers or the junction of a couple of rivers. And it was one of the three cities that I mentioned, Laodicea, Heropolis, and Colossae that were all within 10 miles or so of one another. At the time of the writing of the book, Colossae was really kind of an insignificant place. Laodicea was much more significant, and so was Aeropolis. Uh, but it, in earlier times, Colossae had been a very significant city in the, uh, in the Grecian Empire. But now, uh, at the time of the writing, not so much in terms of, of its uh, size and political significance. But uh, there does seem to be... A a Christian presence in all three cities in that area. So Paul's work had indeed spread throughout all of Asia. There's, there's very little archaeological work that's been done uh, on the site of Colossae. In fact, the last reading that I did on the matter is it's still basically a, an empty hill, a large mound there. But in nearby Laodicea, some of this... Uh, work uh, or structure that's pictured here was uncovered by archaeologists. And some argue that since Colossae was at one time a great city, there's very likely underneath the surface of this large hill similar structures to this. Now, 
I suppose we'll have to wait for someone to dig all of that up before we know that for sure, but this may be representative of, of what might be found if people decide to dig that hill up. Some things about the status of the church. Uh, there is something that generally, or oftentimes anyway, not by many writers, is called the Colossian heresy. Heresy, of course, being false teaching. Uh, <clears throat> it is unclear from what Paul says, because he doesn't describe it. You have to kind of infer what it might have been. But it is uncertain whether it was a reality or whether it was something that he was anticipating perhaps in the future, perhaps and probably because of what the word that Epaphras brought to him while he was in Rome about the status of the church. So we don't know uh, the exact nature and we don't know the exact timing of this heresy, but uh, it apparently was either there or was coming because there are some very strong warnings given by Paul on some matters uh, that he will discuss later as we go through the chapters. One of the things that becomes apparent, and uh, because Paul mentions over and over this thing of the supremacy of Christ, is that this teaching may have been diminishing the nature and the very supremacy and the importance of Jesus Christ. Again, we don't know that with certainty. One of the things that we do know from uh, chapter 1, verse 1, and 2, Epaphras, Epaphras reported to Paul that these men and women in the church there were faithful. They were faithful brethren. He talked about their faith in Christ, their love for all the saints. So Epaphras brought a very favorable word despite the fact that there may have been present false teaching or it may have been uh, something that uh, was threatening to the church there. Uh, but Paul's teaching for them in the book was so, of course, whatever the state of this teaching might have been there, he wanted this church to grow and to fare well. And so he begins in the very opening of the chapter one to compliment them and speak about their faithfulness. And he did refer in verse two uh, uh, how, how strong their faith was uh, and he speaks later about their love as well. In chapter, in chapter one and verse six, he refers to them as being a fruit-bearing people. Uh, they were fruitful in the kingdom. Uh, but again, there may have been signs of problems there on the, on the horizon. Uh, we'll uh, see certainly the teaching that Paul brought to them as we look uh, at de in depth at some of the things ahead. One of the things that will be uh, clear, I think, about this false teaching was that there were, they were mixing things that were outside of Christianity. They appeared to be mixing some things from Judaism and also some things from heathenism or from certain of the uh, Gentiles' former way of life that may have been uh, being brought into the church. But it is important remember that uh, Paul's 
ultimate purpose in this is to highlight to them the supremacy and the all-sufficiency of Jesus Christ. One of the things that people often do when they study the books of Ephesians and Colossians is to compare the two books because there are a number of similarities in terms of the teaching that are found there. Uh, And I've highlighted just a few of these uh, in this table here just to show you some of the comparison or the contrast really uh, between the two and how they differ uh, in nature. The book of Ephesians highlights the privileges of the body, the church, uh, that we have all spiritual blessings in Christ, uh, in, in the church. In Colossians, it highlights the perfection of the head of the church, Jesus Christ. Ephesians talks about the unity of the church. We're very familiar with the passage of the seven ones, the unity of the spirit. And one of those is the one hope of your calling, the one faith. So there's emphasis there on unity. And again, the emphasis goes back in Colossians to Jesus. Let's focus on Jesus, the all-supreme, the all-sufficient, the one who is the head of the church. Uh, Emphasis in Ephesians on the oneness that exists in Christ in the church because of all that God's grace has done for you, for us, the church, we should have a unity uh, that is unsurpassed. Then in Colossians, there is the emphasis on being complete. He is all-sufficient. Therefore, you have, we have, everything that we need to be complete. And the Ephesians tone is that of guidance, whereas it might be said that the tone in Colossians is more argumentative because he's giving these warnings and he's telling them the things that are wrong about the false teaching that was either there or, or threatening. And uh, he highlights the things that, are, that should counter uh, that, uh, that teaching to them. Another thing that's, that's not on the, uh, on the chart here, but uh, it is something that is a distinction between the two books. Colossians is a, is a much more personal book because he makes reference, reference to some half a dozen people. He, of course, mentioned Epaphras, but he also mentions Timothy, Aristarchus, Tychicus, Mark, Luke, and Demas. Uh, all of these were... Uh, mentioned in Colossians, but the only one that's mentioned in Ephesians is Tychicus, again, who's the one who probably delivered both letters to the respective churches to whom they were addressed. Both of the books, and this is something that they share and is an important part of not only the grace of God, but also in understanding Christ. There is great emphasis, often frequent use. In fact, many more times than any of the other writings of Paul in Colossians, Ephesians, and Philippians, the expression in him, in Christ, or words to that effect. This word, simple little word in indicates the close association uh, that there should be uh, with Jesus Christ. And that's, of course, in Ephesians, directed to the church. 
In Colossians, it's more directed to us individually in our response to Jesus Christ, the all-sufficient. Now, I want to... This is the only part of the scripture that we'll be talking about today, but we'll dig into it in earnest next week. I want to talk about the greeting that Paul uses there in verses 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Timothy is mentioned there in, uh, in verse 1, but uh, many, many times later on in the book, Paul uses the personal pronoun I, which makes me think that he really is the one who wrote the book. Timothy was undoubtedly there with him in Rome at the time of his imprisonment. <clears throat> But uh, he uses the personal pronoun I two or three times more than he uses the, uh, the pronoun we uh, in reference to himself and others. Uh, but <clears throat> Timothy was, uh, as we know, uh, starting out as a young man, an important companion to Paul. And uh, we know from uh, Acts chapter 20 that he accompanied Paul, when he went to Jerusalem, that time that he was arrested, and of course leading to his Roman imprisonment, uh, Timothy was there at the time uh, with him. He traveled to Jerusalem with him. And pardon me again. If you're like me and you use your voice for 83 years, it may begin to wear out a little bit. Uh, But on Timothy, we find him going to Jerusalem. We find him in Rome. But there's no mention made anywhere that I could find that says he accompanied Paul on his journey to Rome. Uh, But uh, Philippians also makes clear uh, that uh, Timothy was there uh, with with Paul in, in his imprisonment. Now, he may get the idea, and it could be from the reference in Philippians, that Timothy was actually a prisoner. Uh, I lean a little bit towards thinking that he was there with Paul in this rented house that he was using, and he was assisting Paul there in his work. Uh, But that's a personal conclusion that I've drawn. At any rate, we know he was there. He was an important companion to Paul. And Paul relied upon him a great deal. Paul Paul uses a couple of greetings, the greeting words grace and peace. And these are, first of all, a Gentile greeting and then a Jewish greeting. And by the way, that's just one of those little subtle things that make me think that there were more Gentiles there than Jews because he addressed them first, but that may or may not have been the case. But the word grace, uh, we're very familiar with. It's used over and over in the New Testament. Uh, But it was actually 
the, the more common word that was used by the Gentiles was a word that sort of resembles grace in Greek, but slightly different. But apparently Paul modified it. Grace to you. And that may have been his way of saying, let me introduce you to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, but that was his method of greeting, and, and grace and peace is found uh, several times in his writings. The word peace, or in Hebrew it would have been shalom, uh, is a Jewish greeting. And it meant peace. Of course, there was a different word in Greek. But uh, it is important for us in thinking about this as more than just a greeting, grace and peace. Those two in combination are absolutely vital to Christians. We have to, of course, enjoy the grace of God. If we don't, how can we have peace? So grace and peace definitely go together. Uh, we can't appropriate peace unless we have first experienced the grace of God. And he uses the expression, by the will of God. Uh, Paul, an apostle, by the will of God. And we're all familiar with Paul's story of how he was miraculously called by Jesus himself to become an apostle. Now, some people suggest even today that we hear some kind of small voice or something that calls us to the Lord. But of course, we know that that's not so. But it is the will of the Lord by which we are called. Uh, we just have a different expression of the will of the Lord that calls us today. We, of course, understand and know very well that that's the word. Uh, and it's called, of course, the word. It's called, referred to as the, the faith. It's referred to as preaching and uh, also, it is referred to, or the term is used in its connection, the word we're very familiar with, salvation. All will be called to salvation. Well, what are some of the uh, implications for us of just these two little short verses? I would suggest to us, first of all, that your calling, my calling, is from the Word of God, from the Bible, not uh, some small, still voice in the quiet of the night. Uh, and we are called just like the people there in Colossae. We're called to be faithful. Uh, we're called to serve, as Brother Glenn mentioned in, in his sermon. Uh, but the calling of Jesus Christ is, is an invitation. It's an invitation to us to come and uh, be appointed in accordance with God's, uh, God's purpose. Uh, and the, uh, the exclusivity of that call, as I mentioned, is made very clear in the seven ones. Uh, that are given in Ephesians 4. One of those expressions there is one body and one spirit, just as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith. So we have a calling, and it is a call 
from the word to be faithful. We're called to be in Christ, just as Paul was an apostle in Christ. That is, he had a close relationship and association with. He was uh, very much uh, a part of Jesus Christ and, and his kingdom. And that's the same thing we are called to, of course, today. We are to enjoy the same grace and peace that he commended to the brethren there in Colossae. And as I suggested, that grace and peace are so tightly connected we cannot separate them. Uh, They do indeed go together. Uh, If we have grace, we, we, we enjoy the peace. If we try to have peace without God's grace, Uh, I would suggest good luck with that because I don't think it's really possible for one to have uh, the peace that passes understanding unless you also know and enjoy the grace of God. One of the things that Paul mentions in Colossians 1, and we'll look again at this later on, in Colossians 1, in in, uh, verse 28, he says, Him that is Jesus, we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Jesus Christ. So we have a call uh, that the end result is uh, for us to be perfect or complete in Jesus Christ. He's called us to be faithful brethren, just like these people there were in Colossians at verse Two, and he's called us to be in Christ. That's the domain in which we should be living. It's the place where we dwell, where we reside. Uh, that's, that's the full meaning of that little word in. And then we have these two great blessings of being in Christ, grace and peace. That concludes my introduction to the book of Colossians. I wonder if anyone has any observations or comments. I'm not sure exactly how much time we have left, perhaps about five minutes. I think I may have finished just a little bit early, uh, but we had some difficulties there at the beginning, so maybe, maybe I didn't start early. Anyone have any other thoughts about, as we begin this study of Colossians, any suggestions, thoughts? Next week, we'll look at verses 3 through 8. We're going to take this in relatively small bites as we go through it. It is a small book, and we're going to have 12 lessons, 11 after today. Uh, And I'm not trying to stretch this out. I think the content of the book is so rich that it deserves time be spent on just a few verses at a time to capture the full intent of what Paul had to say to the brethren there in Colossae. Would you bow with me as we pray? Our gracious Father, we're we're thankful to you for the Apostle Paul and for his faithfulness and for his authorship of, of this book and so many other portions of the New Testament that we love so much and that we gain so much from And we're thankful for the spirit that guided him, that inspired him 
to present these truths in such a powerful way. Father, we're thankful for Jesus Christ, the one in whom we have our very being. In Him, we exist, we dwell. We are complete. We are made complete by Him. And Father, we're thankful to You, our holy and righteous Creator, the one whose purpose established all that we have in the kingdom, all that we have in Jesus Christ, all that we have in the inspired Word. Father, we're grateful and we ask that You be with us as we dig into this book, that we may indeed glean truths that will help us to uh, be more complete, more mature, better servants in the kingdom. This we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.